Hi there, my name is Alex Faust, and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week, we meet with a top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good night, depending on what part of the world you're joining us from. I'm Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge. And I'm very excited to be joined today by Bob Glazer. He's the founder and chairman of the board uh, of Acceleration Partners, the premier global partner marketing agency that's won over 30 awards for its world-class company culture, the number one Wall Street Journal best-selling author for several books, including Elevate, Friday Forward, and his newest, which is How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace. Excited to kind of hit on a brand new but very important topic for our community, which is this idea of succession, how, when, who to pass the torch to, and we're we're going to cover all of that today. So, Bob, welcome back to Conversations at the Edge. And uh, where are you calling in from today? Uh, thanks, Alex. I'm uh, right outside of Boston, uh, a town called Needham, Massachusetts. And so, I mean, what made you decide that you wanted to make this change? How did you know that it was your time to kind of step away and let somebody else take the take the reins? Yeah, you know what's interesting is a couple things. One, you know, employees are always sort of looking to learn and grow and do something else. And, you know, I had been in this role for almost 15 years. And I, I think that applies to the, you know, the CEO uh, as well. But, but you know, I had uh, been doing this role at AP. I had started writing and becoming passionate about things outside of work too. And, you know, so for years I had done both of those. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was my company. I could just see that that was, not going to be sustainable. I also saw like, what is the, what are we trying to build? What does the organization need? And what will the role of the CEO read? And as I, I mean, need, um, as I was going through that, I also read Patrick Lencioni's book, The Motive, which just sort of like nails this whole concept on the head. Um, I think it was pretty, pretty validating. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, we also brought on some investors too. Um, and, and so when, when it was just my company, I could spend the time how I want. I didn't really have to justify it. It also just felt fairer to be clear about, you know, the role at AP versus the stuff that I was doing out of AP. So I looked at that and I said, look, our plans to build a hundred million dollar company, um, with our investors, here's the role of the CEO. Um, I, you know, very little of the management team reported to me anyway. I don't, we didn't want all the direct reports and, sort of looked and I said, you know, most of this stuff is not the stuff that I really like to do. I, I like working on the strategy, the new products and services, culture, helping to train and build up our leaders. And, you know, that's less and less of what the business each, each day. And, you know, I was lucky to have a number two for almost 10 years who was our president. And it just, you know, became clear that, you know, that was a very natural fit for him. And, an opportunity for him. He deserved to be a CEO. He wanted to be a CEO. And I'd rather him be the CEO of Acceleration Partners than, you know, selfishly than than <laughs> another company. Um, so, you know, two years ago, we were walking in London on a bridge and kind of talking about career stuff. And I was like, look, I, 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 I want you to take over. I think this is the right decision for both of us. But there's a lot of things that you need to do and work on. And, um, and, and there's a lot of structural things that we want to do. But like I said, it was a little Kaiser Soze-esque in terms of, I, I think when we got there and, and people realized that, oh, all the management team doesn't report to Bob anymore. Oh, Matt's been running all the meetings. Oh, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think they sort of looked back and realized, again, we had been slowly making all of the changes whereby at that point, there wasn't a lot to, to change. You know, in the, the Friday Forward, when you announced to your yeah. larger community, 
you mentioned that you know the role that you played as CEO of a 50 person company was much different than the role yeah. of CEO uh, in a 270 person organization. So I'm curious if you could just tell us a little bit about you know the difference between those two CEO roles and yeah. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, interesting. I did not even take the CEO role. I think I was managing director until we got to 100 people. And then we started to have managing directors in Europe and whatever. And it got a little like confusing. Like who, who's who? Like I, I was reluctant. I, the role CEO means chief executive officer, right? So you are a leadership of a team of executives. If you're a five-person company, you shouldn't have a CEO. You should have a president, right? It just it, it becomes an ego thing. Like, in, if you are the head of sales, the head of marketing, and whatever, unless you are, you know, bipolar, you're not you're you're not leading a, a whole team of of, of people. Uh, you know, not to make light of that, but but I I do think it becomes such an ego thing. So that that was clear for me. And so at, at fifty people, you know, the leader of a company is selling a lot of vision, a lot of ideas. I call it the R&D department is like a really big part of the company, right? At a 200-person company, keeping the trains on the tracks is 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 really important. You have a lot of people and processes and things to manage. And the R&D department, you know, if, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, in in Apple's early days versus Tim Cook was 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 heading a lot of that stuff become smaller. And, and while it's important, because I think you need, I think the ideal company has this sort of visionary and operator combo, someone who really likes to operate, someone who likes creating, um, I think their importance or just their relative weight, you know, in terms of day-to-day changes. Like, I'm not sure if Steve Jobs was alive today, if he'd want to be CEO of what Apple involves. Like, he'd probably find, you know, the shareholder meetings and the board meetings and a lot of that stuff, you know, just not what he wanted to do. Now, he might designate all that to a president or COO. So I I think a lot of founders, you know, the title is sort of the reward. Um, and I think they don't pick their head up at some point. I've seen plenty of them who really would be better off being the head of sales or the head of marketing because they don't want that responsibility. Your job is to lead an executive team. That is literally the job. It's actually not selling. There was a CEO of a partner company who used to work with, he used to reach out to me all the time and ask me if I knew someone on LinkedIn. And I was like, look, you should be the head of sales at your company. Like, <laughs> this is like, this is not the role of a CEO is hitting up someone for leads, uh, you know, every, every day. Um, again, I think that the CEO's job is, is really to manage this team and make that team better and spend most of the time coaching and leading and managing that team. Um, and, you know, at a certain size, that's, I realized that that's not, what I wanted to, to, to do. So, you know, you mentioned like there were some things that Matt needed to, to work on the now CEO um, yeah. over those, that two year span. So what were some of the, the things that you saw in Matt that you knew he was right to play role of CEO? And then what were some of the things that like he needed to work on to kind of grow into the, the vision that you had for him? Yeah, it's a good question. And look, I think every strength is is a weakness, right? So some of the things were the things I just had to learn, like, uh, uh, you know, as my role was elevated, just I think, you know, you, 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 you know, I always, I'm very authentic, like casual, say what's on my mind, as you start to become big company, like people take your word as gospel, and you just, you know, there's certain things you don't like, but you like to be politically, but that you can't joke about or comments you can't make. Things that you can do at ten people that you just can't do um, at a hundred. So, you know, one one of the things I think, and and this has been a big transition from Matt. I mean, this is what makes Matt a great operator is that he 
he is on the details. His projections are always to the 1%. You know, a lot of the debates that we always had around like going after a big plan was like, if he couldn't figure out the math of how it all lined up, like, you know, then, then he wouldn't be as comfortable with it. So I think some of it was, was, um, just the, the gravitas as a leader, you know, your executive presence, you know, one of the things that I had to learn again, I talked with him about is this kind of like kind of the Disney concept of like, you are always on stage. Like when you're in your character as a leader of the company, you're always on stage. People are taking every word you say, they're misconstruing it. Um, so I think your, your body language, the types of comments you say, how you get, you know, frustrated with people, that sort of stuff. Like it really changes as your role elevates. Um, I think that was one big bucket. And then the other bucket was, you know, being able to create a more of a set of vision, you know, something that's a little messy, something that doesn't have a clear plan to it because operators like, you know, the clarity. And, and I think, you know, Matt's really shifted in terms of embracing plans and goal settings and understanding that like, sometimes you got to put a stake in the ground and just hold people accountable to getting there without exactly knowing how you're going to get there. So the, those were, you know, those were, you know, two of the areas. Um, but yeah, that, that on stage one is really hard for people. It's tough. You, you, you feel like there's this boundary between being inauthentic, but then also realizing like, that's, that's part of the role. Um, you know, that's the Disney thing. I, to me, I equate it to Disney. Like their rule is like, when you are in character, you're in character and you never break that until you, you know, jump off the stage. And, and I think obviously if you're having beers with your executive team and, and something like that, it's different, a little different, but when you're on that company stage, I think you really need to be conscious of that. And in that character, you speak a lot about it. You have a course on core values. You're, you're very passionate about the role that core values play from a personal and a professional point of view. And I'm curious what if any role, the the core values of the organization of yourself kind of played a role in the decision-making process. I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot what I was going to say last time, which was in terms of the why Matt, I mean, Matt has just always exemplified our core values. So to me, that was more of the sort of why, I mean, he's always been a, like, you know, across the board uh, on the core values, but yeah, I mean, they, they definitely play a part when you think about sort of owning, you know, own our core values are own it, excel and improve and embrace relationships. So, you know, I had to sort of own it. I had to, you know, decide, you know, to lean in and, and, and bring someone else in and then think about what is the, what is the best thing for the organization and what helps us um, get better. So yeah, to me, good core values are, are, are an ultimate decision-making guide that can tell you sort of, you know, what to do. So I think if you think about the culmination of that choice certainly involves uh, several of our, our, our company um, core values. And because one of the things we always tell our employees, I'm like, if you don't improve, I'm not sure you can remain excellent, right? I might've been a, an excellent or a good CEO under certain conditions, but, but maybe I was about to not be one under, under, under different conditions as, as things changed. There's a difference between leading and coaching and managing, right? Yeah. And wanting to do the difficult stuff. I also think a lot of founders don't want to be the bad news people. And that's, you know, I feel like it's my job to be the, you know, optimistic, whatever. So I'm probably not as good at holding people accountable and delivering the bad news and, you know, dealing with that side. I mean, that's, that's what operators, you know, learn how to do and get good at. Yeah, that's good self-awareness. I'm sure what made you two a, a great team. I'm curious, you know, if there was a time um, where you were wavering, like, am I doing the right thing? Is this really what's best for me and what's best for the business? Would that, would that ever happen to you? 
you know, I didn't consciously waver, but I definitely had some stomach issues. <laughs> just a long year anyway. Like I, I, I think sometimes it's hard to know you're going towards something and you're not uh, there yet. Um, I think I worried that I was going to waver, but I had thought about this for a long time and there was like zero second, uh, um, you know, uh, there was any second thought or anything about it when the time actually came. But I thought, I thought there might be more of, and maybe there was some self con, uh, you know, anxiety sort of, um, below the surface, but, I think by the time, because it was so long, by the time we got, I'm somewhere when I, when I know what we're doing, like I want to get there. Like, I actually think it was like, all right, you know, we, we, we've this, we've been doing this forever. Like it's time to actually, you know, have us get there. Um, what kind of advice would you have for other founders, CEOs, owners who would like to find a successor? First, most are not, lovers of operations. So I would, uh, I'm super in on the traction integrator visionary concept. And I would make sure you have an integrator in your business. Like who is the person that, you know, most of the founders are, are unless it, it, look, if you know, your discipline of sales or marketing, like check your ego, think about what you like to do. What is the role that needs to be done by the leader of the organization? What do you like to do? And are those one and the same? Um, because I actually love when you find that someone's the founder and they list their card as like chief bottle washer or something like, I just, I find those people like a ton of humility of like, even though it's their company, they don't even let you know that, you know, they're in charge. I, I'd read the motive. I, I think it's really powerful. Um, and, and I would really look at what do I like to do? What does the organization need? Kind of check your ego. And, and, and I think you might, you know, find more satisfaction if you could carve out the role. And if that role is, and here's the thing, it might be what you love at 50 people. And then it might be a little different at hundred. And then you might say, look, I want to take this company to 150, but man, I don't want to be managing a 10 person management team, but that's where the thing comes in. Like, I, I, you know, I think I said this in one of my posts, most founders and entrepreneurs were not a students, right? They were not, didn't do great in school, didn't do great in the school system. They're just being CEO is, is sort of this reward, you know, of, of that's the A, you know, that's the sort of reward of, of all their hard work and all that stuff. So I think it's very hard for people to give that up. Um, but, but that's a real deep conversation with yourself around ego and what you want. And is ego getting in the way? And does that title really define you? Like, I, look, I think it also big part of people. And I talked to some companies, we want to buy their company and they're almost keeping the business around because it's their identity. Like your work title shouldn't be your identity. Like I, I, I am sure I'll find out some things about myself that I, I didn't realize by, by removing that, right. It, it, it becomes a crutch. So I think there's a lot of heavy psychological stuff <laughs> that goes into this for founders and, it's worth discussing with people who've been down that road or, or made that decision or decide like, again, if, are, are you, are you doing the wrong thing? I mean, there's a, there's a company I know, and I, I just know that the founder's identity is super tied up in the business. And, and I think the business has been going sideways for years. And the best thing for that business, I think for them to identify like that, that is not, not, not the right role. 
Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates, or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again, and see you next time.